Lots of pasta. We are in the middle of what I'm going to call a spooky investigation with some unwelcome visitors. We are reading We Used to Live Here from Reddit No Sleep. Um, it's been a fun little read so far. Nothing too crazy, nothing too hard to understand. A brief recap uh, to... Uh, 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 let's just say a lesbian couple moves into a new house in what I will assume the Midwest, uh, when they are approached by a nuclear family of sorts who request to just kind of walk through the house because the father used to live there, um, hence the title. And he just wants to show his kids where he grew up and the couple feels almost remiss to neglect him of that, uh, until, of course, he does get inside the house and his daughter goes missing. Um, then the blizzard gets worse, they impose for dinner, and then, unfortunately, have to stay the night, to which the father reveals, uh, that his sister kind of went insane in the house, claiming that the house used to change, and that, it, and that she used to see things, maybe even people, um before she, too, went missing. Um, it does make me think a little bit about what I read with Mark Rooster, shout out to, like, a uh, hundred episodes ago, um, Dianea House, the idea of these houses that exist to feed off of people, feed off of their minds, their souls, their bodies, maybe even. Um, but also the, the very House of Leaves idea of someone's very reality being altered around them um, and they're kind of coming to terms with it and freaking out about it. Um, it's very well written. Um, I'm very excited to be here and to be with you guys reading, uh, part two. So I think, uh, I think we're just going to jump into it. There isn't much of a recap, um, because that's the, that's the setting. This family kind of, uh, the, the daughter went missing. They claim it's like a hide and seek thing. Um, so the daughter is somewhere in the house. She took a dumb waiter from the top floor to the basement. The family all went and searched the basement. They couldn't find her. The dad kind of had a freak out where he was like whispering to the darkness. Uh, later on during the night when he tells the story, uh, the couple falls asleep on the couch and the, uh, the author Eve wakes up to find um, someone at the bottom of the basement steps who at first she thinks is the missing daughter, uh, but then it stands up to reveal that it's a full-on person, uh, which freaks her the fuck out because it's like unblinking looking at her from the basement, which I'm sure is everyone's fucking nightmare. Um, and she runs back up the stairs and she tries to tell her girlfriend Charlie about it, but Charlie doesn't really believe her and tells her to go back to bed. And that is where we left Part one, um, defeated and psychotic. So I'm excited. Sounds like a regular old Saturday night. 
So let's jump into this. Part two, we used to live here. A warm beam of sunlight roused me awake. I looked to my side. Charlie wasn't there. Stretching my arms, I climbed out of bed and yawned. All the strangeness of yesterday felt smaller in the morning light, like a fading nightmare. As I stepped out into the hallway, the smell of breakfast filled the air. Eggs, bacon, coffee, the only meal Charlie knew how to make. Downstairs, I wandered into the kitchen, but Charlie was nowhere to be seen. Instead, Thomas stood over the stove, humming a happy tune, making scrambled eggs. His family, minus the missing-in-action kid, Jenny, sat at the table. I lingered on the edge of the kitchen at a loss. Thomas looked toward me and smiled. Morning, Eve. How do you like your eggs? Where's Charlie? Who? My girlfriend. Oh, she mentioned something about picking up a generator from town for the basement. I raised an eyebrow, leaving without telling me that wasn't like Charlie. She didn't want to wake you, he said. Everything okay? Yeah, I'm good. Unsettled, I stepped around the corner and pulled out my phone. Time to call Charlie. I tapped the screen and... Nothing. I held down the power button. Nothing. Dead battery? I paced up to the bedroom and plugged it in. Still nothing. I blew in the socket. Nope. Factory reset. Nada. I definitely charged this thing last night. Did Charlie unplug it and put hers on? Maybe. Regardless, I kept my phone plugged in just in case it started working again, and I returned downstairs. Back in the kitchen, Thomas had joined the rest of his family at the table. Can I borrow your phone? I asked, and he looked at me, chewing on a mouthful of eggs. He swallowed. Don't have one. I blinked in disbelief and looked at Paige. Can I borrow yours? She shook her head. We don't have phones. All right. Stopping the story, calling it right now. Fucking news presses reaching out to you. These people are fucking ghosts. Who doesn't have a phone in this day and age? Like, even fucking, like, five-year-olds have phones, right? Spooky. A modern family without cell phones. That might be the strangest thing to happen yet. Holla. What was going on here? Frustrated and getting more weirded out with the exchange, I turned for the foyer. Just borrow the neighbor's phone. Halfway across the living room, I stopped short. Above the fireplace where I had removed the nails, an unfamiliar painting now hung. A large painting of a tree line, the edge of a dark green forest. Vaguely familiar, it looked old, almost menacing. I glanced toward the living room coffee table. The hammer was gone. Did Charlie put it up to troll me? Maybe, but... It seemed a bit much, even for her. Throne, I continued, for the front door. I needed the phone. Charlie, now. Dressed for winter, I stepped down onto the driveway, and my heel crunched against something. Looking down, I lifted my foot. Buried in the snow was a small, shiny object. Charlie's locket. Bum bum bum! They killed the lesbian, and they're stealing my home. Maybe I will get disappeared, too. Let's find out. Get to the neighbor's house. Pushing forward down the driveway, I tucked Charlie's necklace into my back pocket. Maybe she dropped it by accident. Doubtful. 
Regardless, my goal didn't change. Get to the neighbor's house, call Charlie, find out where she is, why she left without telling me. At this point, I was even considering calling the police, but... But what would I tell them? I let a family of five into my house. I think they put up a painting. Not exactly police priority. Call Charlie first. Evaluate from there. The storm was getting worse. As I trudged down the road, freezing winds swept through me down into the forest at the end of the street. My face stung, teeth chattered, eyes burned, fun. Finally, I reached Harpreet and Miguel's place, a mint green bungalow with a meticulous but snow-covered Japanese garden out front. I gave three sharp knocks and waited. Nothing. As I reached for the bell, the door swung open. Harpreet answered, Hello? Dressed in a house coat, her eyes were tired and her hair was tousled. Wait, what time was it? I checked my wristwatch. 6.58 a.m. on a Saturday morning. Yikes. Hey, Harpreet, sorry to bother you so early. And she looked at me a little confused, almost like she didn't know who I was. Fair enough, we'd only met once before, but... It's Eve, I reminded her. I just moved in up the street. We were gonna do a game night together. She smiled. All right, Eve, she said. But it almost felt like she still didn't recognize me and was just being polite. That or my social anxiety was yet again taking the reins. Can I use your phone? I asked. Mine's dead. Sure, she reached into her pocket and handed me her cell phone. Thanks. I punched in Charlie's number. Three tones rang out, but no answer. I went to dial again when Charlie called back. Thank God. Hello, she said. I exhaled relief. Just hearing her voice felt like a big, warm hug. Charlie, where are you? Who's this? I raised an eyebrow, then remembered I wasn't using my phone. It's Eve. I clarified. My phone's dead. I'm using the neighbors. Oh, hey, Eve. It's pretty loud in here. You'll have to speak up. In the background, barcode scanners beeping, muffled voices, cars sounded like she was in line at a grocery store. A thousand questions passed through my head, but I settled on, when are you coming back? A long, drawn-out silence. Eve, she sighed. I, I can't talk right now. Can we do this later? Charlie, I just... Why did you leave without... Beep. She hung up on me. That or the call dropped. Yeah, the call must have dropped. The storm messed with the signal, that's all. No way, Charlie hung up on you. Stop cat Stop catastrophizing. I don't, I don't think that's a word, author. Catastrophizing? Everything. Harpreet glanced over her shoulder, then back to me, restless. Smiling apologetically, I redialed Charlie, but this time it went straight to voicemail. Hey, Charlie, I think our signal dropped. I, I found your locket on the driveway, and this family is really weirding me out. Come back as soon as you can, okay? Ending the call, I handed the phone back to Harpreet, who studied me with subtle concern in her eyes. Is everything okay? Yeah, I'm good, thanks. Part of me wanted to tell her what was going on, wait here until Charlie got back, until this creepy family was gone, but Harpreet wasn't exactly rolling out the welcome mat, and I couldn't blame her. Guess people with healthy boundaries don't just let random strangers into their houses, go figure. As I marched back home, I kept playing the phone call through my head. Something seemed off with Charlie. She sounded distant, standoffish even. Maybe it was something I said last night. Maybe it was something I did last week at... Stop. Stop 
spiraling. Stop mind reading. Focus. If something was bothering Charlie, she would have told you. She's probably just hungover, preoccupied. I took a deep breath and exhaled. What would Charlie do? Charlie would go home, tell the creeps to get the fuck out of her house. With renewed focus, I slogged back through the snow. Halfway across the road, I noticed a figure obscured by the snow. A person, standing at the end of the street, on the edge of the forest, back turned, unmoving, dressed in a white gown, or at least that's what it looked like from a distance. A gown in the middle of a winter storm, maybe it was that hiding kid. Jenny! I called out, but the shrieking wind swallowed my voice. I tried again, louder. No response. Then the figure withdrew into the woods, disappearing from sight. I glanced down the street towards my house. Go back inside or go after the kid. It was freezing out here, even with my whole winter getup on. In a gown, she might catch hypothermia or worse. I took a step forward and... And an image flashed through my head. An image from last night. The hunched figure on the stairs, slowly rising to stand. The memory was so sudden, so vivid, I could almost see it. Projected onto the snow in front of me. My eyes drifted back towards the house, then back to the dark forest. Last night was just a trick of the light, I told myself. You got this, Eve. Go find the kid. Besides, it'll get this family out of your fucking house. Reluctantly, I headed towards the tree line. The old forest swayed and groaned as I tracked the faint trail of footsteps, and up ahead, the kid slipped behind a gnarled tree. Was her hair black? All the kids were blonde. Maybe it was the light again. And picking up the pace, I trailed the winding footprints as they led deeper into the woods, over a bank, into a small crevice, and... vanished. The trail just ends. Hard stop. As if the person I was following ceased to exist. I paused, look around the trees, branches, snow, and more trees. I called out again, but only the dim echo of my voice responded. Great. My skin tightened as the wind needled through me, somewhere close a heavy crack, followed by a thundering boom. Was that a tree falling over? This was getting dangerous. Too dangerous. Left with little choice, I turned back for the house. Sorry, kid. Sorry, not sorry. LOL, a rafflecopter. In the foyer, I shook off snow, the uncanny strangeness of everything still clouding my thoughts. Thomas stepped around the corner. Any luck? I blinked at him, unsure of what he meant. Getting a hold of Charlie, he clarified. Oh, had to leave a message, he nodded. I was just about to mention the kid in the woods when, behind him, his daughter Jenny stepped into the room. I stared at her, lost for words. Thomas glanced back. Oh, she finally surrendered. Jenny wore a white t-shirt and blue corduroy overalls, not a gown. This raised an obvious question. Who was the person outside? I almost brought it up, but again, something told me, keep it to yourself. My distrust in this family and even my own judgment was growing by the second. Anyway, he said. We're heading out as soon as the storm clears up. I... I think it's safer now. I know, said Thomas, but without winter tires, my wife's a little paranoid. Surprising myself, I pushed more. I'll get the tire chains from the attic. He smiled grimly. 
Mm, not sure they'll fit our truck. They're universal. Thomas paused ever so slightly, and then, Perfect! That'll work. He exhaled with seemingly genuine relief. We'll start packing up our stuff right away. Check out times at eleven, right? He smiled at me, expecting a laugh, and I gave him a blank stare. His dumb smile evaporated. Paige, he called out and disappeared into the living room. But Jenny lingered behind, looking up at me. There was a deep sadness in her eyes, almost like she didn't want to leave. Poor kid. Based on my brief time around her parents, I didn't blame her. I would have hidden the basement, too. I smiled sympathetically, but she just looked down at the floor and... Jenny! Paige's voice snapped from the living room. Help us tidy up, now! Jenny looked up at me, turned away, and then slipped out of view. Tire chains, Eve. Tire chains. I turned to head upstairs, but there was a jagged fist-sized hole in the drywall. Wait, was that there before I left? Did the movers do it last week and I just didn't notice until now? No, that doesn't make sense. I would have seen that. Better yet, Charlie would have 100% caught a hole in the wall and called them out. I'll come back to that later. I was about to step away when I noticed an ant crawl out from the hole. Bloated as all hell, a fat fucker. With surprising speed, it zigzagged down the wall, slipped and dropped right onto the floor. Without missing a beat, it scurried across the hardwood and slipped into a crack beneath the front door. Okay. Almost felt like it was running from something. What was that about? Focus, Eve. Universal tire chains. Standing at the top of a pull-down ceiling ladder, I poked my head into the attic. Hobbled wooden floors, no windows, everything covered in dust. This'll be fun. Flashlight in hand, I hoisted myself up. I peeked my head in here once before, but never got the whole tour. Slanted boards, low ceilings, narrow hallways, weird attic. I eased my way in. It was quiet up here, too, save for the muffled sounds of the family downstairs. According to Charlie, the tire chains were in the last room on the left. Stepping deeper into the attic, I entered a long, shoulder-width passage. Claustrophobic. Up here in the house's time-worn innards were exposed. Reddish-pink insulation, rusting pipes, frayed wires. Looked like a botched surgery. It's Monster House by Robert Zemeckis. Curving through the corridor, I came upon a gap in the wall, a three-foot-by-three-foot three square at stomach height. An entrance? I peered inside. It was the dumbwaiter chute. Why would it go up to the attic? I beamed light down. A long, narrow shaft led all the way to the basement. The elevator cart was at the bottom. Three stories. That's a long drop. Suddenly, the hair on the back of my neck stood up. Memories of the basement twisted through my head, and was coming up here such a good idea? Maybe I should have stayed with the neighbors. Maybe I should have... Doesn't matter now, Eve. Tire chains. I like this person's, like, narrative drive, the narrative thought, the way she, like, backtalks herself at every fucking moment. That's kind of how my, my brain works. Finally, I reached the end of the hallway, rounded the corner, and... 
a door. Wooden, covered in peeling olive green paint, adorned with three locks unlatched. An attic with deadbolts on its doors? Any other time, this would have sent me running. I pulled it open and... blinding light. From the far wall, glaring sunlight shone through a porthole window. I flicked off the flashlight, stepped forward, looked around. This room was barely bigger than your average walk-in closet. Random junk crowded up against the walls. A motley crew of thrift store rejects. Bald tires, old books, more empty picture frames. A fish tank and turtle pellet food? Behind that, a dusty watercolor painting of a bright green smiling turtle. I guess the previous owners really like turtles. I like turtles. I mean, turtles are pretty cool, but why didn't Charlie mention any of this stuff? Behind the turtle tank was a file box and written on its side in black sharpie, Charlie's stuff, parentheses, donate. Leaning forward, I hoisted the box up onto the turtle tank and inside were a few camera lenses, a bunch of film rolls and an old 35mm Pentax, Charlie's camera. Photography used to be a passion of hers. I still remember the day she had her own gallery showing. It was rain-soaked day in downtown Seattle, but i never seen her happier. She even put up the blurry photo of me, the one from the locket. I was flattered, despite the fact you could barely see my face in it. Charlie always wanted to start a photography side business, but three years back after her father passed, Charlie put away the camera and never took it out again. Her dad was the only one that got her into photography to begin with. I asked her about it once, but she just shrugged. She just didn't have time for it anymore. It was so unlike Charlie. Before that, she never walked away from anything. That said, I was in no position to judge. I'm the type of person who gives up on projects I don't even start. Need an example? I dropped out of art school three months before the first semester. Setting the lid back onto the box, I turned to survey the room and... In the far corner, the pile of tire chains. Finally. I crossed over, bent down, and... Outside the house, a door slammed shut. I tilted my head. Silence. But then muffled, heavy footfalls crunched against gravel and snow. Charlie? I stepped over to the porthole window. Down on the driveway, Thomas marched towards the street. He got about ten yards from the house, then lurched to a stop and let out a primal scream of rage. What the fuck? He went quiet and glanced around, looking embarrassed, and then he shook out his hands. Did he and Paige just have a fight? Maybe, but what about? Reaching into his coat pocket, he pulled out a pack of cigarettes and glanced back towards the house. All clear. He lit up, took a long drag, and relaxed a bit. Secret nicotine addiction, repressed anger issues, two more points against this picture-perfect family. Maybe he punched that hole in the wall, too. He continued down the driveway onto the street and disappeared behind the tree line, along the forest surrounding my house. From this angle, the trees were eerily familiar, old, almost menacing, just like the painting. Was this the tree line from the painting? <laughs> yeah, sorry, that's a bit much. Behind me, a labored, metallic rasping sound. I turned, listened, around the corner, dissonant grating like overgrown fingernails scraping against rusting metal, tedious, guttural, growing louder and louder with each passing second. 
Disturbed, I crept over to investigate, but before I could even get there, the sound rattled to a sudden stop. A halting noise that made me realize what it was. The dumbwaiter. The fucking dumbwaiter of doom, my dudes. Flashlight in hand, I peeked around the corner. Nothing. Just the long, empty hallway. Maybe it's the kids again. Maybe she's coming up here to hide. I glanced at the tire chains. Come back for those later. Why? Let me ask you, narrator. Why? Why would you come back for them later? It's the reason you came up here. Put them in the fucking dumbwaiter and tell it to go to the second floor so you could fucking throw them at the dad. I eased forward, one step at a time. From this angle, I couldn't see into the dumbwaiter chute. Yet. But a part of me worried something terrible was waiting inside. Something waiting to pull me down into the basement, drag me into who the fuck knows where, and stop. Don't spiral. Take a deep breath. Exhale. It's just the kid, Eve. Everything that's happened so far has a reasonable explanation, really. What about the dad's whispering freakout in the basement? Yes, even that. The painting above the fireplace? Yes, that too. The figure on the stairs? Yeah, I think. Mildly emboldened, I stepped forward to look, and the elevator cart was empty. Joy. Somebody must have pulled it up here from below, of course. You can pull a dumbwaiter chute without being inside it. That's actually how they were meant to be used. Exhaling relief, I turned away, and... Footprints footprints in the dust, long, narrow, starting at the dumbwaiter entrance and leading off down the hallway away from me, down through the attic towards the only way out. Not good. They sure as hell didn't look like old footprints, or like little kid footprints. Maybe I wasn't thinking clearly, but they almost didn't look human. Okay, no more attic. I took a deep breath, pointed my flashlight, and headed for the ladder at the end of the hallway. I checked. I quick-stepped into an open area and swivel-checked the corners like a wannabe marine. All clear. We're good. Just get to the exit, and the flashlight dimmed into darkness. Seriously? I smacked it. Flickering light. Shit. I've watched enough horror movies to know nothing good follows a randomly dying flashlight. I smacked it again, harder. But this time it surged bright like a flare, somehow lighting up the entire attic, and then darkness. I flicked the on-off switch, nothing. I smacked it again, nothing. Again, nothing. In a fit of stupid rage, I hurled it into the dark, and it clattered off the wall and fell to the floor with a hollow thud. Silence. A growing sense of panic swelled within me. Whoever brought the shoot-up was here, still in the attic, and I was seriously starting to doubt it was one of the kids. Was it the figure on the stairs? What if it was... My tailspin was saved by a literal ray of hope, about forty feet away, the still open attic door. Just follow the light. Moving one foot at a time, using the distant glow to guide me, I focused on my breath. Breathe in through your nose, out through your mouth. Be careful, don't trip on the notched floor. And behind me, something moved. A skittering, almost fragile sound. Now completely terrified, I hauled ass towards the light, and my foot snagged on a floorboard. I staggered forward, nearly biting it. Close call. Scrambling, I sprinted towards the exit. Almost there, almost free, and... The stairs slammed shut with an authoritative wham. Darkness. 
I yelled for whoever was down there to open it. No response. Collapsing onto the hatch, I frantically searched for the handle, sliding my hands over the splinter-infested floor, hunting for something, anything. Cold sweat trailed down my forehead. My heart thumped. Breath gasped. I stopped myself again. Calm down. Breathe in. Breathe out. In. Out. Ground yourself. Focus on your surroundings. Your senses. Sight. Pitch dark. Smell. Musty air. Rotting wood. Touch. Cold. Wet. Hair. Coarse. Hardwood. Sound. Your own breathing. Wind gusting outside. The creaks and groans of the old house. And a rolling sound behind me like a metallic cylinder against hardwood. I gazed back over my shoulder, only darkness. But then light flickered to life. The flashlight. About thirty feet away, rolling in a lazy arc, beaming through stagnant clouds of dust, I watched, hypnotized. The rolling flashlight slowly scanned over the walls, the reddish-pink insulation, and then it settled to a stop shining into the narrow hallway at an angle. It almost felt as if the light was trying to show me something, but nothing was there, just a dark, empty hallway. I squinted, and then I saw it. A figure, standing in the darkness just outside the light's edge, a person cast in shadow. I stopped breathing. Slowly, the figure became more defined. It was a woman wearing an off-white hospital gown, tall. Her head was shaved down to the thin black roots. Bluish veins pulsated beneath pale skin. Her face was concealed behind peekaboo hands like a child playing a game, motionless. The breathless moment seemed to stretch on for eternity, and then... She took a sudden, shuffling step forward and froze in place. Now the front of her bare feet stood in the light, overgrown, dirt-stained toenails, and then another quick step forward. The flashlight snapped off. Darkness returned. Slow, monotonous footsteps followed, like a lumbering metronome speeding up bit by bit, bottomless dread pushed up from my stomach into my throat, but only a gasping wheeze escaped. I couldn't even scream, so I spun around and pounded on the floor, hitting harder and harder, all the while footfalls getting closer and closer, one short step at a time. Finally, I managed to scream. A scream louder than I'd ever screamed before. I screamed for help, but no one responded. Only the sound of footsteps getting closer, closer. They were nearly upon me, and then the stairway swung open. I tumbled downward and slammed into the hardwood floor, head first. Darkness. What a great fucking sequence, like right out of a goddamn horror movie. That is wonderful. The whole weeping angel, hands over the face thing. Classic. With a sharp gasp, I snapped awake. Where was I? Slumped on the living room couch with a nasty fucking headache. Thank God. I half expected to be tied up in an underground torture chamber. Next to the fireplace, Paige sat in a chair, knitting. 
Her kids played with Lincoln logs on the floor. It was still daytime, but slowly getting darker. You okay? Asked Thomas, stepping into view. Uh, I didn't know what to say. I was still processing everything. There... There's somebody in the attic. He nodded considerately. The kids looked up at me on edge. He glanced towards them. Why don't you go upstairs? Collecting their toys, they filed out. Holding a smile, he waited for them to leave, then sat down across from me. Tell me what happened, he asked thoughtfully. There, there was a person. They were... I trailed off trying to make sense of it. I, I think I saw them in the basement, too, last night on the stairs, but he weighed this for a moment. Before you moved in, how long was the house sitting empty? Huh? When did the previous owners move out? Oh, about a half a year ago, I think. He smiled grimly. Sitting empty that long. Could be a squatter. Happens more often than you think, especially out here. I don't know. Well, did she seem dangerous? The bizarre image of the woman hiding behind peekaboo hands flashed through my head. It was almost as if she were taunting me. We... I should call the police. He shook his head. No reason to escalate things until we know what we're dealing with. I was barely even listening. My thoughts were still trapped in the attic, circling around something that I couldn't quite place yet. He cleared his throat. I'll go up and take a look, all right? I don't think it's safe. I'll be fine. Pushing up to a stand, he strode towards the foyer. Paige chimed in. Don't forget the tire chains, she said, not even looking up from her knitting. Grunting, noncommittally, Thomas disappeared around the corner. And this next word, this fucking word that's in all caps italicized, I fucking said it to myself in my head when I was reading, but I just wanted to make sure that I it wasn't just like an author's mistake or something, but it's actually fucking happening. It says the word she. And I will remind you of what I just read. She never mentions a gender of who she saw upstairs. It's Thomas who says, did she seem dangerous? What a wonderful fucking thing. That is a wonderful little moment. That's that's like when you realize like the sinister fucking twist in a in a serial killer you know, that's when you, that's when the twist is about to happen in the, in the third act of a, of a wonderful thriller or horror movie, when you catch someone on a word and they just let it slip. That's so fucking wonderful. This story's great. <laughs> Five minutes had passed. Thomas was still upstairs investigating the attic. What was taking him so long? Who was that up there? Could it be his sister, Abby? Rhythmic creaking interrupted my train of thought, and I looked up. Paige was rocking back and forth in a chair, knitting, an unfamiliar red rocking chair. Catching my gaze, she stopped moving. A few awkward seconds of silence went by. Nice chair, I said pointedly. She offered a, a meek smile. Thomas grabbed it from the truck. It's, it's good for my spine. 
When I was younger, I hurt my back in an accident. I used to ride horses, almost qualified for regionals. Who gives a fuck? Leaning back, I crossed my arms. The fire crackled and hissed, slowly dying into fading embers. Okay, I'm sorry, but are, th are these guys moving in? Like, they have their moving truck. He, like, invaded their house. They invaded this house. I think they plan on moving in. <laughs> we used to live here, to we now live here. She went back to knitting, unfazed by my lack of response. Considering the peekaboo lady up in the attic, part of me was actually glad for this family's presence. But now I had less than zero faith in them. And worse still, I didn't even fully know why. Sorry about last night, said Paige, almost blurting it out. Raising an eyebrow, I looked towards her. She continued. What I said at the dinner table, it, it wasn't appropriate. I stared at her, surprised but not invested. I just... She sighed. I'm not used to how fast the world's changing these days. She tapered off, eyes scanning the floor. Because she's a fucking ghost. She doesn't know how phones work. She's not used to seeing ladies kiss each other. She doesn't listen to Katy Perry. Same here, I said dryly. Dead quiet, and then... Thomas stepped into the room. I sat up, awaiting his report, but he just looked at me and shrugged. Didn't see anything, he said, almost apologetically. Found this, though. He handed me my flashlight. No footprints, I asked. Hmm? Footprints? No. Impossible. I rose to stand, but he pressed his hand against my shoulder, stopping me in my tracks. Eve, his eyes filled with the type of concern that makes one feel pathetic. Is everything okay? I didn't respond. I didn't know how. He continued. I know you barely know us, but you can be open here. Maybe we can help. No fucking thank you. What was this guy up to? I shrugged his hand away and stepped towards the kitchen, pulling a cup from a cabinet. I filled it at the sink, gulped it down, and slammed it onto the counter like a shot glass. You should leave. Thomas's face twitched like something did not compute, and then he snapped back to his pseudo-charming self. Why don't we wait until Charlie gets back? Ready to rip, I opened my mouth to respond, but then... I noticed the cup on the counter, the one I just set down. It was an unfamiliar red plastic kid's cup. On its side, a pale blue moon with gently shut eyes, smiling a toothy smile. Whose cup was this? More importantly, what was it doing in my cupboard? Something wrong? asked Thomas. How long was I out? He studied me, unsure. I locked onto his eyes. After I hit my head. Oh, ten, fifteen minutes? His eyes broke contact. Tops. Clearing his throat. He tried his pitch yet again. We'll stay with you until Charlie gets home. Then we can use her phone to call the police. And after that, we'll finally get out of your hair. Sound good? Uh-huh. I muttered, only half listening now. I was just staring at the creepy moon cup, searching for something, something just out of reach in my mind, something that she. Minutes earlier, when he asked me about the attic person, Thomas said, did she seem dangerous? But I never mentioned 
The blaring ring of a cell phone cut into my concentration. Repetitive, monotone, beeping. I looked around, bewildered. The sound was coming from Paige. Fumbling in her pocket, she yanked out a flip phone and switched it off. Deafening silence filled every corner of the room. I looked at Thomas, but he looked away, embarrassed. So much for not having phones. Let me use that, I said. Oh, it's, it's not, she stammered. The service out here is just, and I just... Midway through her sentence, I marched over, snatched the phone away, and Paige shot to her feet, trying to grab it back. But Thomas spoke up. It's okay, Paige, just let her use it. She paused, stared at him for an uncertain moment, then sat back down. Smart move, Paige. I was about to break your fucking jaw. Despite the fact that I didn't have the slightest idea of how to do that. Dialing Charlie's number, I stepped back into the kitchen. Three tones rang out, and then, faintly, through a vent in the floor, a muffled synth cover of Beethoven's Fifth played out from the basement. Charlie's ringtone. Oh, fuck. They killed my lesbian girlfriend and put her body in the basement. Um, yeah, that's where part two ends. Uh, wonderful. This is wonderful. This is a wonderful little tale that we're telling, huh? We used to live here. Uh, now tense to we fucking live here now, bitch. Yeah. I hope everyone's enjoying this because I'm enjoying this. It's always fun when a story is competent. Um... Yeah, I can. I feel like in part one, I alluded to the fact that this might be being adapted by someone somewhere, like it was picked up for something, whether it's like a show or a movie, I don't fucking know. But cool. Very cool. Um, I have a feeling that act two was just rising, rising action, you know. Uh, no plateaus, just rise, rise, rise. Lots of questions, not many answers. Um, we're gonna get, we're gonna get the sting of third act. We're gonna get the twist. We're gonna do the twist. Um, but that's pretty much it. Uh, I, I, I like this story a lot. Um, I still maybe wish that I was reading it with someone else just so I could share the dialogue. But for the most part, this one wasn't as heavy on dialogue as part one was. Um, there were just so many characters to balance on part one. Um, but there is something fucky going on, right? Maybe the twist is that uh, Eve never lived here. Maybe Eve's the ghost, right? <laughs> maybe. I feel like that's what the sixth sense twist <laughs> of this story is like, no lesbian bitch, you're the ghost. We're moving in. Um, but I don't know. There are worse things than amicable lesbian ghosts. There are also worse things than nuclear family ghosts. Um, they made breakfast. That's spooky. <laughs> I love breakfast. Um, I don't know. There's not much more to be said. Uh, I hope everyone is enjoying the story. I hope it's not uh, too little for all you pasta eaters out here. This is just like a little appetizer, just a little break for little old me. Um, giving myself just a little bit to edit instead of the usual 
hour and a half, two hour long, two and a half hour long episodes that have been tending to come out recently. Um, <clears throat> it's fun to shake it up every once in a while, you know? Um, and this story feels like it came in at right the perfect time. Um, we're all setting in for our uh, Thanksgiving we're turning over into Christmas, which I'm sure people are excited for. I do Christmas with frowns every year. <clears throat> Got some fun stuff planned for the new year, but for the most part, um, we're, we're coming up to our next break. I'm going to take our break a little bit earlier this year. Um, I think we're going to stop at like episode 230 or something. So, you know, I still got some, some weeks for you here leading up to New Year's, but, um, I did uh, want to let you guys know that the hiatus is happening a little bit sooner. I'm going to try to keep it a little bit shorter. Um, it doesn't mean that content is going to be dead. It just means that content is going to be coming out uh, elsewhere. I'm going to try to put up um, Dead Space 2 on the YouTube that I played with Mr. Skellybones. Um, I got a lot of fun feedback from part one that I aired a little while ago during Halloween with the, uh, the, the final episode airing on Halloween weekend. Um, I hope people liked that playthrough because we play all three of the games. Um, it's a fun time. Everyone check that out. Um, check out the other playthrough with Deputy Dewey. I played a game called A Way Out with him. Um, there's some phasmophobia with a bunch of people up on the YouTube as well. And then there's the first game I played with Tenron, which is Luigi's Mansion. So lots of fun stuff for you guys to watch. Many hours of video game playing. Um, but it's not just video games. I, I often say it on the show itself. Um, it's kind of like a podcast with visuals because whoever I'm with, we're just fucking around. We're, we're mostly talking, at least me and Skelly Bones in Dead Space tend to just talk the entire time because we already played these games um, minus the third one. He never played that. So we are a little bit more quiet, a little bit more deductive, a little bit more logical during that one. But for Dead Space one and two, we're fucking chatterboxes. Uh, anyway. I hope everyone is having a pleasant November after that spooky, spooky Halloween we just had. Um, and I hope everyone is excited for what's to come. I got some fun stuff planned around the corner. Um, we got another commentary track coming up. We have a fun interview with a, a writer of many of the stories we've read on the show. Um, got some fun people returning to read some stories with me. Just stick with me. Let's keep it low key and let's, uh, let's live here, you know, in this moment for just a little bit longer before we resume the hell and the spookiness of lots of pasta. As always, see you next time. Await to the day's end. Until we stand at the shore, the shore.